0: Of the above that I'm never letting get niggas. But still in all, give you every advantage I found. Couldn't find a better fit for them, along with my crown. And since the baton was passed, hoppin' down, cause failin's not an option, and dad is not a noun, not at all. My sons will never play with dogs. In fact,
1: I refuse to let my sons play with dogs. That's not what men do. Men are supposed to be leaders. Protectors, providers, how do I expect him to be the head of a home when he's steady tending to a house made of plastic? I refuse to let my sons play with dogs. If I ever catch him with a Barbie, a Bratz, a Polly Pocket, or Cabbage Patch, I swear my right hand to God I will set him straight. on no, that is not how God intended for us to act. I said I refuse to let my sons play with dogs. Because I don't want them learning what it's like to have ownership over a woman's body. Thinking that all women are born with strings on their back, That if you pull hard enough, they'll act how you want them to act, wear what you want them to wear, talk the talk, and walk the walk straight into a box that was never designed to hold the sound of a woman's voice, let alone her stretch marks tattooed across her skin as a result of reaching so far across the universe. She bridged heaven and earth, yet still, there are men who view women as more mistake than they do miracle, who spit sexist slurs through their teeth like refund receipts for all the clothes he will never allow her to wear because she's showing too much skin, because that outfit is asking for it, because all she wants is attention men who are more likely to punish you for an abortion than they are for sexual assault. But if they see the procedure to be the murder of a baby inside of a woman, then tell me. When a girl gets raped, is the child inside her not dying too? Jeez. Jeez. Is the robbery of her innocence not worth better laws, or will we continue to force these girls into a motherhood they never asked for? A friend tells me that her mother was born from a rape. And I ask how she's coping with that today. If she now has to look her mother in the eyes and wonder if she's able to see the blessing before she sees the trauma or does she sit silent in sorrow whenever that train of thought crosses those battered borders in her brain. My mother tells me that she was 25 when she got her first doll, that her first memory as a child was being beat by her father. And it hurts to know that like so many other girls, my mother had to live her childhood backwards, being treated like a woman well before she was one, yet never taken seriously long after she became one, having to train her words daily until they were callous, just so maybe what she says might be able to hold a little bit of weight. I hate that I can use my platform to reach problems of political policies that are not mine to paint. So don't mistake this for spray-can saviorism spread across the canvas of shit that's trending. Think of it more as my apology for every time I turn a blind eye on a woman just trying to be seen and a promise to the men who laid hands on my mother and her mother and her mother if I ever see you again I will send you straight back to whoever it is you pray to at night for if God were to set foot on this great earth let it be a stiletto or a pump, a wedge, a knee high, a thigh high, or whatever the fuck she wants to wear because she's not a toy, she's a woman. My boys will not make toys out of women, so I refuse to let my sons play with dolls until they actually understand the difference between the two.
2: Welcome, welcome to another episode of Dad is Not Enough. Now. My name is Ishmael, changing the narrative for men of color fatherhood as well as changing the narrative on the things I care about. And I have a special guest with me. What you just saw was a powerful piece called Barbie. And I have the talented poet, Demetri, with me. Thank you for coming on, brother. How are you doing? Thank you for having me, man. It's pleasure's all mine. Thank you so much. I'm doing good. I'm blessed. I'm blessed. I'm, I'm blessed to have you on. Um, I've been watching your YouTube channel. I'm a big fan of your poetry. Um, I'm a poet myself. Um, but the first question I always ask my guests because I'm all about mental health. How's your heart?
1: Uh,
3: at this moment, it's good. Uh, you know, that that's something that changes, uh, quite a bit, especially, you know, with daily struggles, but at this moment, I'm good. I'm at peace. It's Sunday. I'm not, I'm not working. So usually just taking this time to reset. So we're good.
2: And, and that's good. That's good. And, um, I think the most powerful thing of a poet is that power of being vulnerable, Mm -hmm. to be on stage, to share your story, just like the piece Barbie. And I felt like Barbie was a love letter to your mom to let her know, I understand, I resonate with you. I know I'm a man. I know things that I don't understand but you know what, I'm here for you and I know your story. So give me a good behind the story of Barbie. So Barbie really, as,
3: as many of my poems are, really was born out of just a simple conversation. Um, this one was uh, three separate conversations that I could, I, I could really pinpoint. One of them being with my mother, another with a friend, and another with my girlfriend, all kind of uh, relating to the same topic of just uh, internalized misogyny. Um, you know, Outside of my father, uh, who passed a couple years ago, I, w- I really was, all my role models were women. Um, so I was raised uh, kind of in that environment. And so me growing up, I'm thinking like, yeah, like I was raised by women. I'm, I'm very comfortable talking with women. Like, yeah, I'm cool, I'm dope, like I don't do anything wrong. Um, and these conversations help open my eyes to uh some of the subconscious things that we all do um that kind of support misogyny and it was a really difficult pill for me to swallow um just because you know our natural instinct is to get defensive like nah like i'm not misogynistic like whatever like um and something that my girlfriend had to say to me to really put it in perspective she's like men aren't the only ones that do this you know women do this as well it's just you know how our society it kind of runs right now and the biggest thing she brought to my eyes that made me kind of finally understand was she's was like think about all your favorite artists your favorite comedians your favorite podcasters she was like um chances are most of them are going to be men and she was like that's not you know it might not be consciously like intentional but um our job is to kind of figure out how much of that is some conscious kind of misogyny and how much of it is something else so that's what really sparked the idea for barbie um, was to kind of address those uh, those I guess internal conflicts that I was having with myself, and that I know that a lot of people um, are also having. But the the poem kind of works as it it, it kind of plays both sides of the field. And what I mean by that is, on one hand, um, it, it does act as almost a form of uh, an apology for uh, for women all over every time you know that I may have. Uh, kind of displayed some of this uh, internalized misogyny and for i guess not seeing that until now um and but that actually wasn't the original intent of the poem um like uh yes it, women uh, empathize and they relate to the poem and i'm grateful for that but the original intent of the poem was the original audience i guess uh was the people that agreed with the first lines in the beginning mm-hmm. um, cuz i've performed this poem all over and depending on where I'm at, you know, those first lines will either be super tense and like people will be really quiet or the crowd will just go crazy like cheering, like agreeing with it, right? And that was the intent of the poem, was to address the people that agreed with those first lines to bring them in and then sort of shine a spotlight and be like, hey, this is what I'm actually talking about. This is what we need to address. Because if I just started it off as just like a, a woman empowerment poem, you know, I'm preaching to the choir at that point. You know, I, I they agree with what I'm saying, but the whole idea behind this poem was to talk to a group of people that didn't agree with what I was saying, but to find a way to get them to listen. And that's the trick with social media. You know, you swipe and you see the first line, I refuse my, to let my sons play with dolls. People are, gonna, are either going to agree with it or heavily disagree with it. And that's, yeah. that's why I feel like this poem specifically did so well on social media is because it, it caught certain groups of people off guard um in the way that i intended it to but I'm, I'm glad and i'm super grateful that it did play the other side as well as as uh, allowing women to be seen and kind of breaking that fourth wall almost where it's like you know they're kind of living in this whole the world that a lot of men don't realize exist and this is kind of me like peeking around the curtain and be like hey like I, I see you like don't worry i see you like we're gonna get there we're gonna get there but
2: yeah, that was kind of the overarching story behind barbie Definitely. And I think what made that piece so powerful is that you don't judge and you test our hypocrisy because at, at the end of the day, we're all hypocrites. Yes. <laughs> and so that first line, like you were saying, that you're trying to test the waters to say, all right, who's going to agree with me? Who, yes. who, who, who's gonna, who's going? willing to go down that rabbit hole with me? You mm-hmm. know. And then when you start um, getting deeper and deeper, you're like, damn, like you know what, I, I, I do think that way. Yeah, and the main it's, that it's it's
3: like I said, it's a hard pill to pill to swallow for a lot of people. Um, a lot of the initial response from the poem before it blew up, there was a lot of hate and a lot of just like just um, I, I guess it's the best word to describe is hate. Like in my messages and comments, saying like, "Oh, you're a misogynist!" Like, I can't believe you would say this. And it was clear. I'm like, you did not watch past the first 40 seconds. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I don't. I don't typically respond to those because I'm just like, listen. If 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 you're gonna judge something as quick as that, like I'm not gonna be the one to force you to watch it. And I was like, you know, I want you to be able to say to yourself, hey, let me not judge what this dude is saying, and just listen. And and that's why I commend all those people that didn't agree with those first lines for watching it all the way through because I know how. Those first forty seconds sound, and I know how uncomfortable it must have been to have to sit through that. But that's why I commend every single person that did watch it because it, that that is that is not an easy uh, task to do to, to not judge, especially now in twenty
2: twenty four. Definitely, but just talk about that vibe of the room when you when you heard that one lady in the audience say thank you. So. <laughs>
3: that okay that the recording of barbie uh i think was that crowd maybe seven people eight people um and uh, i i forget her name she so uh there was two two ladies that uh spoke in that video one of them the las vegas local her name is mvp speaks um amazing poet amazing soul and she's always been so supportive uh the other lady i i forget her name but I know from uh from Salt Lake, a poet as well. And an insane poet, like very talented. I'm going to have to find her name and send it to you. But um, to, to, that was kind of like a, hearing that was permission for me to, to like, okay, like you're good, go for it, you know. Um, because there's been times when, you know, the first time I performed that poem, right, uh, was at an open mic. And there's like, three girls sitting in the front row first time I ever uh or first time they ever attended an open mic and they walked out in the first 15 seconds of the poem like they did not stay to see the rest of it and um so it it meant a lot that not only did they sit and listen um to it but that they encouraged me afterwards like hey like you got it on like you're hitting on the head you keep going um but that room was mainly poets so I think that was what worked to my benefit was that uh, in the porch community, it's very much like you know you speak your truth, like I'm not gonna judge you you know if that's how you genuinely feel like you know it's art at the end of the day. Um, and so yeah that that's really what what set the mood for that room because yeah, it was only eight people, but the energy was insane. I mean uh, Mellow Jones, who incredible poet, he was in the audience at that time uh, and uh, a bunch of other great, Las Vegas poets, and if you know anything about poets, which I know you do, like their energy is insane. Especially when someone's spitting, like oh, they yeah. they get crazy. But yeah, that was hearing that thank you and that like that sheesh in the background was just like, um, it was it was that little bit of like permission that I needed to like really go in on this poem, where it's like, okay, they're getting it. Let me let me really like go all
2: out now. And to just talk about in that piece. Like there's a portion of that piece you you're channeling you you're channel you, you're, you're, you're not channeling, channel you're you're challenged, challenged, uh channeling your inner your mom, mm-hmm. like take me in that part of that piece like I felt like you took an of body experience and you were your mother in that piece. Yeah, so, so just talk about that, man.
3: First and foremost, my mother is one of the strongest people I know, if not the strongest person I know, and I say person. Not not woman. I say person because it's truly how I feel um, mentally, physically, emotionally. And we we have a I I don't live with my mother anymore. I moved out, but we have uh, Sunday dinners every week. Um, so I'll be actually headed over there in a second. But um, every every week uh, those conversations would kind of come up. It'll be my brothers and I uh, with my mom, and we're all just talking around the table. And she's telling us stories, or we're telling stories. Just you know, um, just talking and it it hurts to know that her her strength was born out of just a really rough past um, and that's what i tried to express a lot in my poems was that my mother is an incredibly strong woman and she is the way she is because of what she had to go through um whereas my brothers and i, I, show, I display a different kind of strength because of watching our mother where it's like we 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 gained the strength because she showed us how to be strong whereas she gained strength because her past forced her to be strong. Um, and that, that conversation was true. You know, my mother was telling me that she didn't get her first doll until she was 25. Um, I believe it was a Cabbage Patch doll, but um, I believe it was one of her friends that got it for her because she had told her, like, she had never had a doll growing up and that, you know, it, it was really emotional for her. Um, and the same thing, she was saying we were, that her very first memory of her father was being beat by her father. And that's the type of childhood that she was, she was raised in. Um, and, and it hurts because you can't, you can't change the past. And it's like, as much as I want to go back and, you know, fix those things for my mother, like it's all said and done. Like there's nothing that I can do about it other than speak on it um, and ensure that the way that I raise my children and the way that, you know, I progress through life um, goes against what she had to experience. Um, but yeah, that anytime uh, I say this also, anytime I mention my mom or like my brothers in a poem, that's the hardest part for me, especially on stage. Cause like people understand when you're on stage, like you're, you're metaphorically standing there naked, man. Like you're, yeah. you're telling all your deepest, darkest secrets. And anytime that my family gets brought into it, that's like the hardest for me emotionally because it's, it's raw and it's real. Um, and so, yeah, I, it was almost like an out of body experience in a sense where it was like, In order to really get that point across i had to put myself in my mom's shoes and really understand like what it is that she's going through and what it is that that um i was trying to get across the audience and kind of bridge those two narratives um but yeah it's yeah my mother's someone that i write about a lot um especially because after my dad passed he was the only person i ever wrote about um probably for like the year after he passed like it was just him like it didn't matter what emotion i was feeling he was involved in it some way still is in a sense but poetry uh, and the community really opened my eyes to different uh perspectives and i talk about this when i would do like a 30 minute or hour sets where it's like poetry will show you uh, a perspective that you would have never thought before so i always say yes it's heartbreaking as it is that i lost my father you know it, it opened my eyes to see how much my mother does for us, um, even after his passing, um, you know, that, that I still have her and that I still have my brothers, you know. Um, and it, it's important to cherish what we still have here and not get so hung up on what we don't have. Um, but it's it's a difficult process every day, but it's a perspective that I am grateful for because it did lead to pieces like Best Chef I Know and and Barbie and all those pieces, so.
2: Definitely. And I definitely feel your connection to your father before you passed because of the piece that you wrote called, uh, was it The Mailbox to the Bridge? And how you guys yeah. used to race to see if you could beat your dad yeah. get to home. But just talk about that connection between your dad from that piece. Man, so
3: my dad, everyone's going to say this about their dad, right? Because it, it's our own bias. So my dad was that dude man he was he just to give like just to preface like the best way i can talk about him or explain who he was would just be like tell stories about him um and the biggest story that i can think of is um he would pack our lunches for us from kindergarten all the way through college like he and every lunch he would get up every morning you know he worked uh he worked nights and he would get up every morning 4 a.m at all my brothers' lunches, my mom's lunch, um, and he would handwrite notes every single day in wow. our lunches. And uh, by the time I made it to high school, uh, he he would notice that I was coming home like a little little hungry every day. And he's like, what, "What's been happening to your lunch?" I'm like, "Oh, I'm sharing it with like a couple friends at school. Like, you know, they don't they don't uh, come to school at lunch." Next day, he packs two lunches for me. He's like, "Give this one to your friend," wow. and then next day he packs two more lunches on top of that because he finds out about other friends that had lunch um, and writes them all notes and stuff too and he was one of those people that if I was friends with someone like they are now family where mm-hmm. it's like he's going to treat them like that um, and when his, it, it's unfortunate because his funeral was at the peak of COVID so there was like a capacity uh, inside the, the venue where his funeral was at uh, but it was live streamed and thousands of people live streamed his funeral um and i still get messages to this day about like uh people saying like your father was one of the greatest men i knew and in my head i'm like i i don't know who you are but thank you it's like uh the other i was downtown the other day and there was a cop doing a traffic control and he sees me on the street and he's like is your was your dad for now? and i was like yeah it's my dad and, and he just gave me the biggest hug ever and was like yo your dad like changed my life wow and he was just just a walk in the light man and so that is a blessing and a curse. Cause for me, it's like, damn, like, how am I going to like, i was start, you know, I, that, that's, that's the example I have, you know, that's yeah. the standard that's been set, but I'm very grateful for that because it did, he, he, he did, he, he did leave very soon. You know, I was 19 when he passed, but, yeah. um, I feel like I was given more than enough based on everything that he's taught my brothers and I to be able to go on and live the rest of my life. Um, and it wasn't like, uh, it wasn't clearly outlined lessons. It was just watching the way uh, he, he treated people. And, right. and because that's, that's the first thing that everyone says about him is your, your father was the nicest person that any, anyone's ever met. He was so kind, so generous, he, very thoughtful. Um, something specific that I'm learning to do is he, we'd always make fun of him because he was always on his phone, always texting people on the phone with someone <laughs> always just, all, I'm like, you don't know this many people. And, <laughs> He, would, he, would talk, he was very active on Facebook, and he'd be like, oh, yeah, my, my, uh, my friend. And we we're like, okay, Facebook friend or, like, friend friend? Okay. And, um, but he, he cared about everyone with the same – he loved everyone with the same level of intensity. Uh, mm-hmm. He would uh, keep dates, like, on his calendar, like, of, uh, like, if his friend's dad had passed away, he would keep that day in his phone. um he would keep his friend's dad's birthday in his phone and anytime one of those dates would check up that's why he was always on the phone or texting people he was always reaching out to those people saying like hey like just sending you love you know i know it's a really hard day and that's what people remember the most about him is that the fact that he remembered all the tiny details about people i mean like he still reached out to people that he went to kindergarten with um he was very intentional when it came to uh the way he treated people and making people feel loved like that was I feel like his biggest, uh, his biggest goal was to make sure that everyone he interacted with felt loved. And so that's the connection that I was blessed enough to have with him. And that's the, the example that I was blessed enough to have set for me to where it's like now, you know, I try to emulate all these things because I know I've, I've seen the type of impact they can have on people.
2: Definitely. And I think that's his legacy to you um, and the and, and the rest of his children is that to tell his story, um, just like your mother um, to tell their story. You know, they probably don't have the 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 skills on the mic to tell the story like you do. But it's important that you tell their story. Um, but talk about when your mom heard you the first time recite that piece.
0: <laughs>
2: so talk, talk about that.
3: Yeah, so it's funny, the first year, I was, almost a year, the first year-ish I was doing poetry, my mother had no idea. Um, I come from a very uh, traditional, like, you need to go to college, you know, go to med school, do all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And so when I was actually taking poetry seriously, I didn't say anything about it to anyone, because I was like, let me just feel this out. And then eventually I was getting a little bigger, and then one of her friends uh, at work sent her a flyer where I was headlining and she was like so so were you just never going to tell me about this and I was like I knew you we were gonna find out sooner or later but I was hoping it would be later uh, <laughs> when I had you know a little more to show for it but uh the first time uh she heard that piece um I was featuring at an event I was doing like a hour set and the first time she heard it was the first time I ever performed it live wow. um and she hates when I do that because she doesn't like she's one of those people that's real hard on the outside you know doesn't like to show emotion in front of people but and it was one of the only times I ever like emotionally like almost like broke down on stage rather like take a second because like I was getting really overwhelmed because most of the times I practice enough to the point where I'm able to talk about these really difficult subjects uh, without breaking down Um, and like I said it was the first time I performed that piece live and so it was the very last poem I did you know I, I did this whole set Right. And then I start talking about my mom, I'm telling jokes about how he grew up and it leads into the poem. And all and it was so difficult because usually I'm, I'm known in Vegas as a poet who makes the audience cry. Right. Um, that's like and everyone's like, you know, if you're going to see, Dem- you got to bring some tissues, but it's <laughs> like you're gonna end up crying at some point in the set. Um, so usually if people start crying, you know it's, it's hard for me to watch that and be able to stay focused, so I'll try to look for someone that is like still staying composed so i can focus on them because like I, I need to stay composed myself but when the first time i formed that piece every single person in the venue like ugly crying like just hysterically just like red cheeks like running down and um that was the point where it was like i, I, I can remember the exact line where it was um talking about how uh she breaks off tiny pieces of her soul rolls up with the prayers right. and the part where i get um because when my father died and then at that point when i've seen everyone cry and it just like just a real like out of body like flashback of everything my mother did after he died and like Mm. it it was really hard to 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 stay composed in that moment um because i feel like specifically in that moment i was just realizing like you know through grief you know she lost her husband uh she she lost her sister. Some years before that, she's lost so much. But even through all that, she still manages to wake up in the morning, and and make you know Christmas happen, make birthdays happen, and make all that happen. And in that moment, uh, that's that's what overwhelmed me the most because that's that simple line when my father died. Because my father was known as Disneyland Dad. Like he sure. was the person that didn't reprimand. Like he was all <laughs> funny games um, and. His passing made me realize, like, all the foundation uh, that my mother specifically created for our family. Um, so the first time I performed that, that was the line where I was, like, I stepped, I stepped back from the mic real quick. And I literally just had to, like, take, like, 30 seconds because I was, like, I could not continue. I was going to break down into a puddle full of tears like I am right now, man. It's just even now it's, it's, it's difficult to talk about. But that was the first time she heard it. And she was so... Uh, pissed off at me for it because she was like I, you should have told me she was like no nah, you got me crying in front of all these strangers uh, but no after that whole set I just I, I walked outside the venue because I just I needed to breathe and she uh she walked outside with me and we just kind of like stood there and hugged and we're just talking about it you know uh just talking about my dad and just like just how the set was and uh it was it was a really beautiful experience because it was uh the first, it was my first set, but my mother was there as well. And yeah. just hearing that praise from her um, and seeing the impact that had on everyone, uh, it, it, it really meant a lot to me.
2: Yeah. Do you realize now in high set what you did was you unlocked her to be vulnerable, which was hard for her as a girl growing up, you know, to be vulnerable because she trusted someone growing up. And they just took her trust like it was a nothing, took advantage of her. Yeah. And so what you did was you were able to have her be that little girl again in that moment to, to, to again, to be vulnerable, to trust. Because yeah. the only person she really trusted was really was her husband. Mm-hmm. He passed away, even though her kids. But that connection, that bond, mm-hmm. that was with your dad. And that was, that was
3: something that took me a while to realize because the way my father cried all the time, where it was like, he would watch Lion King and would just be bawling his eyes out. Right. He, we, and we used to joke about it because he would just get so emotional about the smallest things. And it, it made that type of behavior normal for us. It was like, it's okay to be vulnerable and stuff. But now um, that you mentioned it, and even in recent weeks, I'm realizing after, reading all these messages from people where it's like, they've been hurt by someone that they trusted they've been hurt by the people close to them and it's forced them to put up a wall um and me this is specifically now with barbie like me bringing up all these uh i guess um memories that relate to them kind of it does unlock that that wall and kind of opens them up a little bit to where it's like now they feel seen almost like they 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 feel like they can be vulnerable with that piece specifically and it was something that I didn't realize until recently to where it was like, just because of the way I grew up, you know, it was normal for, for us to be emotional. It was normal for us to be vulnerable, but I'm seeing that that many, many people don't don't have that privilege or weren't, weren't raised with that privilege of being able to be vulnerable around the people they trusted without having to worry about being hurt.
2: And it's so true. And like transitioning into the next piece, if you haven't um, watched your video, Clouds, you have to watch Clouds because you have Barbie and then you you watch your piece Cloud. It makes sense, it, it was, makes totally sense. So talk about Clouds.
3: So I, um, and it's so funny, man, because I, I was done making those YouTube videos uh, just because my, my whole idea behind Clouds and everybody that followed was like, bro, I'm gonna have this black chair I'm gonna sit in the center of the screen and eventually it's gonna be like dope in like landscapes and stuff. And you know, I'm gonna sign this black chair one day and, and I'm gonna perform on stage with it. And the black <laughs> chair was everything. That black chair ended up getting stolen, man. But still, it was like that was the plan. Uh and then I ended up taking a break from that because I was like, man, like I, I found spoken word and all that. And I was like, Yeah, this this is really what I'm gonna end up doing. And it wasn't until Barbie that once barbie started uh getting getting more attention people started funneling into my youtube channel and that i hadn't touched in i think almost a year at that point um because I, I had no plans of continuing i was like yeah i'll just stick to TikTok, Instagram, whatever, whatever. um and then uh you know it, it led me to re those videos and then when i got to clouds i was like man this poem the reason why i don't feel like I wanted to continue my YouTube channel was cause I feel like this poem was written before it made sense. Like you said, where it was like everything leading up to now, which ironically, you know, makes everything before it makes sense. Um, I, I forgot which video was, um, I, I think it was grandma's house. Uh, yes. that one was filmed in the Philippines. At my my inside my grandmother's old house, uh, and the story i tell him that is true uh she her house was the only house in the philippines that survived uh i believe the super typhoon uh, yolanda it was her house and the church that you can see in the video which all that was intentional and you know at the time and i also think it's because i've spent so much time in the poetry community now i can see that all of this stuff it's leading to something so much bigger like clouds especially grandma's house where it's like I was writing all these pieces for these future pieces. Yes. But when people come back to that, they're like this, it's like one, like almost like realization, like it makes sense now. Uh, but with Cloud specifically, that that was a poem that I, I deeply resonated with uh, in the beginning, and I still do. Um, because uh, it was it was in a point in my life where where grief was – I was still trying to figure out grief. Um, I grew up very familiar with grief. I think from the age 10 till now, like at least once a year, you know, either a, a close family member, or a close friend would pass. And, you know, as terrible as it is to like make light of it, but we would, we were kind of, my brothers and I, we used humor to get through it. We're like joking, like, you know, you know, we we might just be cursed, man. You know, we can't go a year without something happening. And, uh, it was it so it didn't really give me a chance to fully process the person that just passed because then someone else would come along, and pass. So I, it was just all just pending grief. Uh, and then when my dad passed, and um, to anyone that has lost a parent before, they like your world just stops, um, and you have it's just nothing makes sense at that point. And to the point where my grandmother passed, his mother passed. I think three months later. Um, to where when she passed, like I think I say in one of my poems, like I, I didn't even flinch, like it, I was just so numb to the point because it's like how much worse can we get from here? Yeah. Um, so I and it, it, I don't say this out of me being heartless. I say this out of me being out of emotion. Was at my grandmother's funeral, I don't even think I even cried. Where it's like my world was stopped, like everything was frozen, and clouds was that first piece that where where I felt like I started to try and make sense of things. I mean, I tried to finally start uh, processing all this pending grief, you know, dating all the way back to when I was ten years old, and really just um, kind of comforting that that younger Demetra you that didn't get a chance to grieve all the way. And clouds—that's why clouds is so special to me because that was a, my first attempt at, uh, at at taking on this this journey that had been put off for far too long. But that's that's why that piece specifically does does resonate with me.
2: And I think it resonates resonates with me so much is that in the piece you talk about how this cloud is beautiful, but it's like this large pound heavy cloud that's in the sky. You can rain or it just stay there. But yet, and how you just... um, not transition, but how you put it together—the human emotion experience—compare it to a cloud is truly genius. Because I've, as a poet, I've never heard that comparison before. Thank you, man. It's, it's
3: one that, uh, it, it took me a while to uh, put it into words, as much as poetry does. Um, but it, it, that, that specific comparison was a result of the amount of people telling me, like, oh, like, you're handling your father's death so well. Or it's like, uh, or you're handling these deaths so well. Um, And, you know, on the outside, it did look like that. You know, my father passed. um, My entire family was at work the next week. Like, we, that was, Mm -hmm. because my mother's biggest thing was, um, she she made it a point to, to tell us, like, this does not define you. Like, you don't let his death, like, take you down a path of drugs or a path of alcohol or a path of any of these things you use this and you will be better like you you use this as as your motivation to go on and do great things um and so yeah we we did we went back to work uh that i think my brother he's a professional fighter he the next week or so he had his first uh title fight and he and he won the match and it's like i i was uh working on all this stuff with uh poetry and um you know, from the outside, you know everyone will be like, you know, the manabats are so strong. You know, they they carry this this weight so well. But it's like, again, it at the end of the day, it's weight, yeah. and it's grief is one of the heaviest things someone can carry. Um, and even though it seemed like it was being carried so well, you know, it's you don't understand until you're actually in that uh, scenario that it is extremely heavy, and it that made me start thinking about clouds, man. I was like, damn, like. I remember learning in science, like these things are like tons of pounds. Like how are they floating? Like they're just so fl- floated, so carelessly, so easy. Cause when people think about like, you know, calm and peace, they think of clouds when really like, bro, these are tons of pounds, like tons of thousand of pounds. Like it's, and it's one of those things that you see as a poet, you're like, that's a poem right there. Bro. It's like, you know, you, you see all these, all these different examples in the real world. And it's that was one of them that truly did resonate with me specifically at that time was just the comparison of, uh, the weight of clouds and the weight of grief, and just how it looked uh, from the outside perspective.
2: And and that's the beauty of a mind of a poet. You see things, um, see things, the simplicity and the complexity of things before anybody else. And that's the beauty okay. of a poet. Um, and what I love about the cloud because it kind of draws the line between uh, imposter syndrome a little bit. Yeah, and that piece, and I, that's why I love the complexity of that piece.
3: Yeah, it was, and the great, the great thing about poetry is like, depending on where you are in life, when you watch it, like it could mean something so different. Um, there's this, uh, I I used to have this, uh, this Instagram page like, back in the beginning of high school, like this super anonymous where I would just write. Just like short, low poems. Um, and I went back to it recently to just kind of uh, read over some of them. And I knew what I was talking about at the time when I wrote those poems. But after experiencing everything I did with my father and my grandmother, um, I took on just such a different uh, interpretation of the poems to where it's like now, you know, when I'm working on my first chapbook, like I might include some of those pieces, but put it in a different context mm-hmm. um, because that's how it's resonating with me today. You know, it, it meant something completely different back then, but it, it doesn't invalidate it at all. It's just being picked up in a different light.
2: Definitely, definitely. And just talk about that moment when you found your voice, because every poet has that moment in time <laughs> when they found their voice. When was that? Um, time for you? Man,
3: I feel like that's still an ongoing process for me, man. Uh, I, uh... There's a great poet and huge inspiration for me by the name of uh, Obi West. Okay. And I was uh, blessed enough to be able to speak with him. He lives out here in Vegas. And that was one of the things we talked about because I suffer from severe impressionism, man. In in the beginning of my poetry career, I would write poems (laughs) that were based off of, like, other poems I saw. I'm, like, I'm trying to, like, do
2: my own rendition. Uh, I don't know if you muted yourself. Can you hear me now? I can hear you now.
3: Yeah, that. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Sorry, let me put myself on do not disturb. Okay. Um, but yeah, I um. I was just struggling because I felt like I was writing these great pieces, um, like for example, I've I have a poem on my TikTok called uh, "Broken Guitars," um, and that is a complete impressionist poem of Rudy Francisco's uh, "Drowning Fish," right. where, uh, I thought it was a great piece, but then. People were starting to pick up on that. We're like, "Oh, that's that's Rudy Francisco's piece." And it's like, damn, like it was, it was, it was hard for me because in my head, I'm like, "Oh yeah, I'm doing," like I'm using my voice. When in actuality, I was just using other people's version of my voice. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I was able to spoke with uh, Obi to speak with Obi about it. And I was like, "Man, like, do you have any like tips or like resources that can help me find my voice?" And he should have just said no. And I was like, "Really?" <laughs> and he he was like, "Listen, he was like, that would be doing you a disservice." Um, he speaks very poetically like i don't know if you've ever seen him perform but he speaks the exact same way he performs which is i find incredible but he um he he first off he said why did you ask me for this advice and i was like because you have such a unique voice like it's no one is can emulate that style that you have and then he goes on to say well why do you think that is and like what makes my voice unique and i was like, well
0: essentially is you
3: because like i said you t- you speak the same way that you perform um and his whole thing was if i were to give you all these resources that i had um and all these tips and tricks that i used i'm afraid that you might just end up being an, a, a, an impression of me mm-hmm. um, and he's like the only person that can and as frustrating as this was at the time he said the only person that can teach you to find your voice is yourself like that exists within you um and specifically the poetry he encouraged me to Uh, expand outside of poetry when it came to studying certain material to where uh, he was like, if you listen to poetry all day, you're always going to sound like a poet. Um, He was like, if you're trying to pave your own lane and create your own voice, you need to dive into other fields, such as listening to uh, comedy for their storytelling, listening to podcasts uh, to figure out how they can keep an audience engaged, uh, listening to TED Talks for for how they're able to uh, fit an abundance of information in that single talk. Um, and make it make sense and make it effective um and so it wasn't until that that conversation with him which was only i think like two three months ago that i had that switch to where i was like okay let me stop let me just take a step back from watching all these other people work and figure out what i want to sound like and up until that point i feel like the only poem that i felt was true that my voice was the best chef i know Mm. because all that was me i didn't need another poem to inspire that that was inspired by my own life um and that style was inspired by my own life um i'm sure it exists somewhere else in other poems but the intent was never to emulate another piece um and then the same thing with barbie like yes you see you see all these pieces that have those twists that have those flips like you know that's a common occurrence uh, especially in slam poetry but specifically that piece like everything I said in that and, and the way that I said it was 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 genuine and it, it was me and that's why I felt like it was received in the way it was because an audience can tell when you're not being genuine yes. An audience can tell when you're not being honest um, and that was the trick for me that I'm now trying to uh, actively I guess uh, incorporate in my writing today is just making sure that every line that I say is honest and every line that I say is genuine and Even if there's like a sliver of doubt, like, do I actually mean that? Let me change it to where I know for a fact, like, this is what I mean. This is my voice. This is what I'm trying to say. And so finding my voice is a very uh, day to day battle, but uh, slowly working at it, slowly working at it.
2: But you are, man. You definitely are. And for someone from the outside looking at it, I think I, I watched a lot of your other pieces. I, from, From a perspective, I think Barbie is your piece that where you where you found your voice, because you had that stage presence. For someone who's never seen you you your poetry before, like me being the first, like seeing that video for the first time, I'm like, all right, he get it, he gets it, he got, he's confident, he has the audience in the palm of his hand. You know, it's like a roller coaster of, of, of different emotions. Yeah. And so I would say that video right there was your, I got this shit. This is me. Thank you, man. Thank you. <laughs> and it's, it's funny because,
3: um, that's one of the poems where it's like, as soon as I started, like, I'm inside on the inside, I'm, I'm nervous now. I'm shaking just cause like, I know what's about to come. Right. And I know that it is a heavy amount of emotion that's about to hit this audience. Um, and that's about to hit myself as well. Um, so I, I appreciate you mentioning the stage presence because in that video specifically, man, I mean, I was in front of Mellow Jones. I was in front of all these great poets. <laughs> I was like, man, like I'm I'm just, I'm shaking on the inside, but but it's it's, it's the job of a poet and the job of a, of a performer to be able to stay composed with all that and to be able to uh, communicate that in a way that impacts other people without... Uh, doing it to the point where it just breaks you down on stage. Like you still got to be strong enough to deliver the piece. Um, and it's, a, it's a balance that a lot of people struggle with uh, being on stage. So I, I appreciate you uh, mentioning that.
2: No, no no problem, man, because it's, it's, it's the truth and it's the reality. Um, man, um, this has been a dope conversation. Um, before we end this conversation, I'm not going to put any pressure on you. If you want to recite something, um, <laughs> the flow is yours. It's up to you. Oh, Let's see. Let's see.
3: All right. Ooh, I'll do a fun one. I'll do a fun one. Okay. I write a lot of sad stuff. All right. <laughs> All right. Um. Yeah, it's this poem is about uh, a friend I used to have. His name was Jack. Okay. Uh, Jack was friends with. Everybody real player-like, too. He had a dope style, real smooth, old-fashioned type of dude. (laughs) All, All the guys and girls wanted to shop with Jack. They used to chase him around with smiles, but you see me and him, we were inseparable. He was bisexual, but in public, he acted neat and straight. But in private, uh, the world was our country. I was the president. He was my vice, my sugar, and spice, and everything, right? Uh, He used to wear this cologne. Everyone knew him by his scent. We'd spend so much time together, it would would eventually spill on to me, and people would start to say,
1: Ooh, you're starting to smell like Jack. Uh, Whenever I stayed the night at his crib, uh, we used to sneak out. We tried to stay silent, but the door was old. Every time he went to lock it, he made the knob creep with his key. But once we were out, we sneak out to parties. And
3: I always find myself pressing my lips to his neck until that special fluid came flowing up out of him. I don't know. I guess he just brought out the best in me. Uh, made me more courageous, more spontaneous. He was my ecstasy, and I was addicted to his effect. You see the way he numbed my pain whenever I was tempted to turn myself into the next Kurt Cobain. Being with him was like working at Adidas. The way he made me feel, I just snorted three white lines of that pure cocaine but but one night jack's love became too much for me to handle uh, an overload of sensation face glued to the toilet remember going out like a candle if, if you haven't caught on by now this poem ain't about a guy it's about jack daniels let me run it back listen careful and try to dismantle i said i used to have this friend his name was jack jack was friends with everybody real player like too. he had a dope style real smooth old-fashioned type of dude Uh, All the guys and girls wanted a shot with Jack. They used to chase him with smiles. But you see, me and him, we were inseparable. He was bisexual, but in public, he acted neat and straight. But in private, uh, the world was our country. I was the president. He was my vice, uh, my sugar and spice and everything, right? A tall, dark, and a handsome man on some nights. I needed both hands to handle all that, man. Uh, he used to wear this cologne. Everyone knew him by his scent. We'd spend so much time together, it would eventually spill on to me, and people would start to say, oh, you're starting to smell like Jack. Uh, whenever I stayed the night at his crib, we used to sneak out. Uh, we tried to stay silent, but the door was old. Every time we went to lock it, he made the knob creak with his key. I said he made the knob creak whiskey. but once we were out, we'd sneak out to parties, and I always found myself pressing my lips to his neck until that special fluid came flowing up out of him. I don't know. I guess he just brought out the best in me. Uh, made me more courageous, more spontaneous. He was my ecstasy, and I was addicted to his effect. You see the way he numbed my pain whenever I was tempted to turn myself into the next Kurt Cobain. Being with him was like working at Vita's. The way he made me feel, I just snorted three white lines of that pure cocaine. But one night, Jack's love became too much for me to handle. Uh, An overload of sensation, face glued to the toilet, memory going out like a candle. But I could still feel that shit. Uh, Blacked out,
1: hand falling in the toilet. I could literally feel that shit.
3: Uh, (laughs) It has officially been one year since I last spoke to Jack. Uh, But I think about him every single day. Uh, I got this new girl in my life, though, that keeps me on the
1: straight and narrow. Her name is Dasani. Uh, The first day I met her, I said, golly, girl, you look like a tall glass of water. I'm trying to get me a little sip.
3: I extended my hand and said, girl, I'd like to introduce myself. My name is Thirsty. Boom. Thank you
2: so much. Thank you, man. Thank you. And that's how we're gonna end it, man. That
1: was
2: <laughs> fire. That was fire. That was fire. That's how you end an amazing conversation with an amazing poet. appreciate that, man, greatly. How can people find you?
3: Uh, currently on all social media platforms, just my first and last name, uh, Dimitri Manaba D M E T R I M A N A B A T. Um, I'm still uh working out the details but hopefully next month i will be having i'll be headlining a show on the strip so that'll be nice um over in las vegas uh currently working on my first uh chat book and uh and uh currently working on getting uh, specifically barbie uh, available to the public to to be able to have access to so the transcript actually but yeah
2: currently just social media right now but yeah definitely and from that one piece man you're you you growing a huge fan club um you, you, it's growing on tiktok it's growing on instagram and let's you know get that up on youtube man and yeah. I, i'm looking forward to more content man because thank you man you have a gift um especially being filipino filipino mm-hmm. you know you have a lot of uh kids that's gonna look up to you and yeah. you can be that next um uh person that can inspire those kids that wants to do poetry in the future. That's the hope, man. That's the hope. And it's not the hope it will happen, man. Thank you. I appreciate it. Oh, right past, man. Right pass. This has been another great episode on Dad is not a now. You know, uh follow me on YouTube. You can hear this on uh Spotify, iTunes. Google me, you'll find me and you'll find this amazing interview that I have with this amazing brother. And we out. Peace.
0: So, for you, yeah, yeah.